ourselves in front of God and, and ask, just show me your glory. Just show me your beauty. Just show me the wonder. Just show me the splendor. Just show me you, God. Anything you want to show me. You know, Moses said, show me your glory, God. And he says, oh, Moses, I'm sorry. You're asking for something that's above your pay grade. Nobody can look at my glory on my face and live. If you see me, you're going to die. But can I tell you, God didn't say no. And today, Moses is standing on a glassy sea, gazing at the beauty of God. God has answered the prayer. Uh, that, that's the prayer of my life. Just, just let me be ready for the glassy sea. I don't want to spend time going through the mansions. I want to go straight for the glassy sea. <laughs> and, and like I said, I don't know if your life works like mine. Sometimes the, the, the necessary mechanics of life can kind of get us down. Sometimes that busyness of get up and go to work and go home so you can go to bed, so you can get up and go to work. <laughs> Sometimes that, that never-ending to-do list, uh, uh, that kind of gets heavy and it weighs you down. You know the list I'm talking about, uh, the laundry, the, the never-ending story, the actual never-ending story. And, and I thought as my boys got older that would, that, would, that would end, but no, it does not. It just never does. And the, and the what are we going to make for supper tonight? And you know what? No one told me that when I was the grown-up that it was my job to figure out what was for dinner every single night forever and then make it and clean it up. No one told me that stuff. But it can be heavy and it can weigh us down. There's a thousand other things we could put on that list. Uh, but But... When we get our eyes fixed on those things and, and we don't take that hiatus, we don't take that moment to come into the house of God and set ourselves in front of him, uh, that we, we're going to be having the dirt in our life in our eyes. And that's all we're going to see. Uh, but when we make the choice in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our work week, right in the middle of it, to come and put our hearts in front of God and reconnect our lives to Him, to recalibrate our minds. Because I have to tell you, I don't know anybody who can complain like a bunch of nurses. I'm just telling you, they're, they're complainers. They're really good at it. So sometimes I've got to step away and recalibrate my mind to the rhythms of Jesus. I've got to come in and, and choose Him. And it's powerful when you have another option, but you choose Jesus. It gets the attention of heaven when you choose Jesus instead of the television or you choose Jesus instead of your recliner. That, that moves the heart of God. That moves the heart of God. David said in Psalms 122 and 1, we say this all the time, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. And if you, I want to tell you that if you look at your Bible, the, the preface to that says a song of ascents. A song of ascending. And let me tell you that I looked that word up in the Hebrew and it means exactly the same thing as it means in your English dictionary. It means a coming up. So sometimes I have to say, oh, I was glad when they said, let me sing a song of ascending. Let me go up to the house of the Lord. Let me go to that place where God is sitting high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. Let me go up to that higher place than I've been living in and look at the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. Sometimes I have to say, oh, I get to go up there and sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I need to sing the song of my ascent. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, God is good. God is good. And I'm deeply grateful tonight for the opportunity to open the word of God with you.
it, it's never a lot thing in my eyes to do that. Uh, it, it's never uh, a lot thing to come to uh, what pastors told me is the sacred desk. It, it's, it's never a lot thing to come to this house because this is the house I pray over. And this is the house that has my heart. And I have to tell you that I'm not here to impress you tonight or to wow you with some clever thing I've figured out because you all know me. You know me, and you know that I, I, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm the first one at the altar call. I'm not going to impress you with something witty tonight. Instead, I'm going to bring you the Word of God. Instead, I just want to bring you some of this because it's enough. You know, uh, I, I, if it weren't for the word of God, if I didn't have my Bible, then I couldn't know that God is, is, uh, speaks and creates and speaks and destroys. I wouldn't know that he speaks and life calls its way out of barren dust if it weren't for the word. So tonight, I want to bring you the word because the word's enough. The word is enough. Uh, and my ministry, my ministry is always this that I go up the mountain and I sit with Jesus and I open the book and he feeds me the bread. And then he gives me the bread and says, now go take it to somebody else. That's always my ministry. My first ministry is to minister to the Lord and then it's just to bring a little bread down the mountain. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be in the book of the prophet Hosea and we're going to be in the second chapter. And... and uh, we're going to look at a few verses, and I want to be real with you. I'm going to lift them out of context for you a little bit, but I won't hurt them, and I'll put them back when we're done, and it's going to be okay. It's going to work out just right. <laughs> so I want to give you, while you find Hosea in your Bible, and I promise it is in there, if, while you find the book of Hosea, I want to give you a little background about this prophet. Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. He was not in Jerusalem where the temple was. There was no shining building in the middle of town that pointed people to worship God. It wasn't this constant reminder that there's one true living God and we need to worship him where, where Hosea prophesied. He was in the midst of a people who were led by carnal kings to idol worship. And you can read it in your Bible. You can read it and, and, and as you read Kings and Chronicles, you'll find uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, has a good king, a good king, a bad king, a good king, a bad king, a bad king, a good king. And that's the way it kind of plays out. But if you, when you read it, the book of the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel has bad king after bad king after bad king who choose idol worship as a way of controlling the people. And they are led to idol worship by those who are leading them. And, and, and do you know that the, that the Bible tells us that the nation that forgets God will be turned into hell? Do you know that those who, the nation that rejects the word of God will be rejected by the God of the word? And, and I'm not dooming and glooming on America, guys. I, I am red, white, and blue patriotic, Okay. I love America, but you know what? God is not done with America. God, America will still be a gospel lighthouse, but God may have to play both sides of the field so we don't trust in a, in a Republican or a Democrat, but we'll trust in the Lamb of God. God still has a plan for this nation, uh, but we must turn to him. I have no idea where I'm in my notes, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, in the book of Hosea, God says to the prophet, I'm going to let you experience my heart. 
I'm going to invite you into the wounded heart of God. He says, Hosea, go get a wife. Go take yourself a wife and start a family. And, and, and let me read what he actually says. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing for the Lord. So Hosea goes out and finds himself a wife and starts his family. And there's no white wedding dress. And there's no happy uh, wedding party and everybody's saying, aren't they a lovely couple? Uh, his, his wife's name was Gomer and that's a name for you, but Gomer uh, has been around town. Everybody knows who Gomer is. Everybody knows her reputation. They know which street corner she likes. Uh, Gomer uh, is the, 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 the wife of harlotry that Hosea takes to himself. And, and, and as he gets married, they start having children. And uh, the children themselves are a prophetic message from the Lord. Uh, but Hosea marries Gomer. They have kids. But she's not faithful. She doesn't stick with him. She goes back to her street corner. And, and as you read the chapters of Hosea, you see this man who is struggling with this relationship with a wife that's unfaithful, this covenant that's been violated, and Hosea is experiencing the emotions of God as he weeps over the nation Israel who, have, who has been unfaithful to him. Hosea feels what God is feeling as he pleads for the nation to return, put away those idols that they've made and, and that they've been playing the harlot with. And in Hosea chapter 2, that's just what God is doing. He's pleading. He's telling Hosea, this nation's been a harlot chasing after her lovers. Those four nations with their little G gods. Do you know there's only one God that gets a big G? And that's ours? Every, every other God is an idol. It's just a stone, a statue, a demon, or an ideology. There is one living God. But they're chasing after the little g-gods, the idols. And, and Israel was saying, I will chase after these gods so that they will give me my food and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink, the things that will supply her appetites and let her live the lavish lifestyle she desires but Israel did not understand that it was never the little g-gods. It was the living God. It was, it was God himself who had been supplying the rain out of heaven, who was giving the increase of the crops, who was letting the storehouses be full. It was God who was giving the wool and the flax. It was God who even gave the silver and gold. And they took the silver and the gold and they made idols out of them. And God has said, now I'm mad. You tucked my stuff and you didn't recognize that I'm the source of, your good, of the good things coming to you. And I'm mad. And he says, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to take it back. And you won't have anything. I'm going to put hedges around you, Israel, until you realize where your good things came from. And, and, and you know what? That God was right in doing so. God was just in doing so. But, but the thing about this is God wasn't just mad. He wasn't just angry. God was jealous. And you know what? You don't get jealous if you don't care about somebody. 
You know what? If I'm, if I'm jealous over somebody's time, that means I care about them. A husband is jealous over his wife. He don't want her out talking to other people because he cares about her and he wants her to be his. God is jealous. And God, God who is jealous over them is not done with them. He, yes, there was a punishment. Yes, there was a, there was a, a judgment that came. But the jealous God says, now, you don't understand. I want you back. I want you back. I want you to be mine. God knows how to get our attention when we're distracted. Our verse is uh, starting in verse 14 of Hosea chapter 2. God's holy heart is yearning and longing for his beloved Israel to turn back to him. And the tone of his voice changes. He is no longer angry. He is no longer yelling, I'm taking it back. He's no longer blazing with his anger. Now his tone is the tone of someone in love. Verse 14, and I'm in an amplified. Therefore behold... I will allure her, Israel, and bring her into the wilderness. And I will speak tenderly into her heart. Allure is a loving word. It's a lover's word. I'm going to entice her. I'm going to persuade her. I'm going to tempt her out in the wilderness with me. And, and, And that sounds all lovely until you realize what the wilderness is. You know... When I think of wilderness, I'm a Kentucky girl. And when I think of wilderness, I think of that mountain. And it's green and there's bobcats in it and there's uh, beautiful trees and it's lavish and lush and it's beautiful. That's my wilderness because you can get this uh, girl out of the mountain. You can't get the mountain out of the girl. Spent too many summers running up a hillside with my sister. Uh, and that's what I think of when I, when I read the word wilderness. But this is not the word that Hosea used. Hosea uses a different word. He uses the word midbar. When they when the people who first heard this prophetic word, they heard God is going to bring you into the midbar, the wilderness, and that means the uninhabited place. It is the wasteland. It is unpleasant. It is uncomfortable. And sometimes that word is even translated as the desert, so it's dry. The midbar is a rocky, dry place where shepherds and herdsmen will drive their flocks and herds trying to find a little more pasturage. Folks didn't sit, settle down in the midbar of the wilderness because it was a place of lack. It lacked rain. It, it, it wasn't good to farm. It, it lacked provision. There's no Kmart or Walmart. There's no Kmart anywhere. There's no Walmart. There, there, there's nothing there uh, to, to, for someone to want to go there. It was a, an unpleasant location that no one would choose on purpose. But God says, I'm going to lure her into the midbar, into the wilderness, into the uncomfortable place. Because God has a plan and the plan is going to end good. Don't we sing that sometimes? If, if, it's not, if, if it's not good yet, he's just not done. The story's not over. God has a good plan. God knows what to do with a wilderness. 
And you know, when I started running my references on that word midbar, because this was my Bible study, by the way. Uh, this started as my Bible study. As I was running those references, I found that there were people in the Bible who were in the midbar. And, and I want to talk to you about a few of them tonight. The first one I found was Hagar, the maid of Sarah. And, and, and you know Hagar's story. God had promised Abraham and Sarah they were going to have a child. And, and Sarah got tired of waiting, and she said, Well, Abraham, you just go in there to my maid, Hagar, and have a child with her, and that'll be my baby. I'll call that my baby, and we'll, we'll go ahead and help God with his plan. And, and, you know, good old Abraham didn't go pray about that. He just said, Sure, that's really what you want. Sure. So he goes into to Hagar, and she conceives a child. And, and the Bible says that when she became pregnant, she began to despise Sarah. She began, began to treat her uh, with contempt. And, and Sarah goes to Hagar and I mean, to Abraham, and he, she says, oh, look, what, look what that maid's doing. Look how she's treating me. You going to let that happen, Abraham? Now, don't you think Abraham ought to have stood up and said, no, wait a minute. He said, no, whatever you want to do, Sarah. She's in your hand. He had no regard for her at all. And Sarah was harsh with her. She treated her with, with harshness, the Bible says. Humiliated her. So Hagar ran. And she ran. And she didn't have a plan. And where did she end up? In the midbar. In the wilderness. And she's sitting there crying. She's been used by like a piece of property. She hasn't done anything wrong. It isn't fair. She's out there crying. It's a bad situation. She's in an uninhabited, unpleasant, uncomfortable, barren place. And God knows what to do with her wilderness. In Genesis 16 and 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, in the midbar, on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where did you come from and where are you intending to go? And when you read the angel of the Lord, I want you to go ahead and understand. Get this picture on your head that this is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnated Jesus. They call that uh, the theological word a theophany. Here's Jesus walking on the earth but before we expect him to be. And where does he go but to a woman at the well? Where does he go but to go find a woman crying at a well? And he goes to her. What are you, why are you here? What are you doing here, Hagar? And she weeps her heart out. And she tells him, this isn't fair. Look how they treated me. This is such a bad situation. And he listens to her in the wilderness. And then he says, go back. Go back to Sarah. Do you know that blows my theological mind? You know, I came to the church at a time when the prosperity gospel was a thing. And I want Jesus to look at her and say, go, girl, go do you. But he does not say that. He says, no. Hagar, go back. Go back. Go back and submit yourself into this place that's not fair. Because I see something you can't see. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to multiply your seed. You're going to have so many grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You're going to have this baby, and it's a boy, and you're going to call him Ishmael, which means God listens, God hears, and, and he's going to be a wild man. But I see the thing you can't see, Hagar. And, and, and it was unheard of 
that she gets to name the baby. That didn't happen in those days. But she goes back and she has her baby. And he is Ishmael. And that whale, that whale, she named the God who sees me. God didn't just hear. God saw and he understood what was going on in her life. And he cared. Hagar got the blessing Abraham and Sarah wanted. They were trying to manufacture it. And God said, okay, you get it. She got the blessings and promises of God over her future. And the wilderness, the midbar, the uninhabited place, the the wasteland, the unpleasant, uncomfortable place where she was, was a little better. And Jesus sat down in it. Can you amen me? Come on. Has that been your testimony that your wilderness gets better when Jesus shows up? In the midbar, in the wilderness, when things are hard, when you are hurting... When the things of life are unfair and everything you want to do is pack up your car and drive until you run out of gas, put gas in and run, go some more. And that's all you can think in your mind that you want to do. Know that God sees your broken heart. And if you will trust him with the unfairness of your life, that he will make your wilderness be a place where you have blessing. And he'll speak into your future when you are in the desert place. God knows how to handle your wilderness. You know who else had an experience in the midbar? The next one I found was Joseph the dreamer. Joseph the dreamer prancing around in his coat of many colors that his father made to show his love. Going over to his brothers, hey, I had a dream. You're going to bow down to me someday. God's got a plan for that. That's in God's plan in in his future. And and Joseph uh, uh, is hated by his brothers. He's daddy's pet and his brothers hate him. So one day his brothers have been out way too long with the sheep. So uh, uh, his his daddy says, uh, Joseph, go. Go find your brothers so I'll know they're okay. Go check on them boys, why don't you? And and maybe he was even saying, go check on them boys and tell me if they're messing up. He may have been saying that to be real. But Joseph goes and as his brothers see him coming, you know, you can't miss a coat of many colors on the horizon. They see him coming, they say, here comes that dreamer. You get ready. You get, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him and drag his coat through the mud and in, th- in the blood. And our daddy will never know what happened to that sucker. He's out of here. We're done. So Reuben, the oldest, said, wait a minute. Let's not shed his blood. Instead, let's take him and let's put him in that pit in the midbar, in the wilderness. Let's put him in that dry, waterless hole and and let's leave him there. And and really, Reuben has it in his head. I'm going to get him out there and take him home. Uh, But while Reuben is not looking, his brothers sell him into slavery. And he's taken to Egypt as a slave. So here's Joseph. And he's went from daddy's uh, daddy's favorite and a dream and a future because God has a plan for him. And his brothers are going to bow down. And now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And when he won't compromise his integrity, uh, he's thrown into the prison. So he goes from the, the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison. And, and it's not fair. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything to deserve these things. And, and you know what? It would have been totally justified if Joseph had said, I'm done. I'm just going to live any old way. I'll die here in this prison anyway. Might as well live it up. He would have been totally justified. But instead, Joseph said, 
It's not fair, but God, I trust you. God, I'm going to walk with you. If, it, if I die in this prison, I'll walk with you. Psalms 105 says that his soul entered into the irons. That means he was in despair. He thought that was the rest of his life was in a prison. And, and that, uh, that uh, midbar, the uncomfortable place, that unpleasant place that he's in, that place of betrayal, he had to decide, what am I going to do while I'm here? What am I going to do? He decided that even if he never got out of slavery, if he never got out of prison, he was going to get up and choose God every single day. That every day he would get up and he will serve God. And I want, to know, I want you to know that if you're in a place that seems unfair and you don't see a way out, keep going after God anyway. Keep trusting him anyway because God specializes in getting people out of the pit, out of the prison, out of, out of the uncomfortable places. God specializes in that. So uh, he goes into the prison and he's there and Pharaoh, years later, he's forgotten. He's forgotten in there. And Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can tell him what it means. And all the but sudden the butler says, oh, wait a minute. My bad. I was in prison with the guy. And he told me my dream and it came to pass. And in one day's time, Joseph went from standing in the prison to standing in the palace with a key. In one day's time, God turned the midbar and Joseph became a ruler in the land of Egypt. And you know what? He's planning for the famine. He's putting up the food for the famine. And you know who comes and bows down in front of him? Those brothers. Those brothers. God can turn the midbar. God can turn it around. God can bring the thing you think is dead back to life. God can bring that thing you laid down. He can bring it back to life. God can handle the midbar. And I want to give you one more person. Uh, 400 years have passed and here comes Moses. And he grows up in Pharaoh's house, but the Israelites are now slaves in Egypt. And he knows he's an Israelite. And he goes out and he's like, I can help them. I can use my political power. I can use the cloud I have in the palace. I can turn this around for my brothers and sisters, the Israelites. And he goes out and he sees a man beating an Israelite slave and he kills him. And he hides him in the sand. And, and when Pharaoh finds out Moses runs for his life, he runs over 300 miles. He runs until he is in a land that he doesn't even, uh, he, he knows that he'll never see Egypt again. He'll never see the dream of delivering his people come to pass. He puts that thing in the grave. He goes ahead and, and makes a little mound over it, puts his tombstone up and says, the dream is gone. It's dead. I'm done. He spends the next 40 years of his life shepherding his, father, his father-in-law's flocks. For, for 40 years, he gets up every morning washes his face, combs his hair, brushes his teeth, and goes gets the sheep every day for 40 years. Do you know that's a long time to work at the same job? It's a long time to be working for somebody else when you don't have something of your own. And the mundane, everyday business of the sheep, getting up and where's the sheep? Look around, one of them's gone, go get the sheep. That was Moses' life at this point. And the Bible says in Exodus uh, I believe chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And that word is Midbar. To the backside of the wilderness, to the backside of the desert. 
the uninhabited place, the wasteland, the unpleasant place, the uncomfortable place, the place no one wants to be. And while he's there in the midbar, in the wilderness with nothing to distract him, he looks up and sees a fire. And he says, I will tell, turn aside to see this great sight. There's a bush on fire, and it's not like any bush I've ever seen because the fire keeps going, and the bush doesn't go away, and so the fire keeps going. i got to go see this fire. i got to go up here on the midbar, up on the mountain, and see this bush. And when he's there, he encounters God, and God says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're in a holy place right now because you're in the presence of God. I've got a job for you. I want to send you back to Egypt to bring my people out. And the dead dream all of a sudden stands up. The dead dream all of a sudden starts breathing again. The dead dream comes to life. You know this story. God uh, leads, uh, has Moses lead the children of Israel out of a broken Egypt to the shore of the Red Sea. And he parts it and a million people walk across on dry land because it wasn't Moses' political cloud he needed. It wasn't Moses' palace experience God needed. God needed the man of God to be in the desert and get his attention and get his eyes on the one who could truly do it. The midbar was a place where Moses' dream came back to life because Moses encountered God. God knows what to do in your wilderness. He knows how to break your distractions and reveal himself. He knows how to speak into your destiny and your future in the desert place. The, the Midbar is the place of lack where God fed a million Israelites with manna and put water out of rocks. In the midbar, the wilderness. It was the midbar, the uncomfortable place that David, who was anointed to be king, was running and hiding in caves from Saul and wrote the psalm book of, of a yearning heart, yearning after God in the midbar. Uh, it was in the wilderness that no one, wanted, no one wanted to be that the prophet Elijah ran and God fed him with a little cake and a little water to get him to the same mountain Moses stood on so he could tell him, uh, Elijah, uh, wrap yourself in your mantle and listen because I'm going to talk to you about your future. I'm going to talk to you about the future of the, of the nation and, and the ministry. When you cross that line into the New Testament, you've already lost the midbar word, but you still have a wilderness. You have John the Baptist out in the wilderness hearing from heaven, preaching the same message that Jesus preaches when he comes. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, breaking the back of the devil when he wouldn't yield like the first Adam did in the garden. Uh, Jesus in the midbar defeated temptation and sin. The, the, the uh, midbar, the uncomfortable place, God knows what to do with it. Isaiah 35, uh, starting in verse 4, the prophet says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb or the mute uh, will sing. For in the wilderness, in the midbar, those shall waters break out and streams in the desert. God knows what to do with a wilderness. Amen? Hallelujah. The wilderness may be a barren place, an uninhabited place. It may represent the place of our lack. 
the lack of life, bringing what uh, rain or provision or comfort. But God knows how to handle it. If he can get us out of our comfort zone, if he can get us out of our distraction, if he can get our eyes on him, if he can get our faith set, then God can do something while we're out there. God knows how to use your midbar. I want to circle back around to Hosea 2. We're almost done here. Starting in verse 14 again, God says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, Israel, bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly into her heart. And there will I give her vineyards. Do you know how hard it is to get the grapes to grow in the desert? <laughs> it's not hard at all for God. It's not hard at all. I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, which means troubling. I will make the valley of troubling to be for her a door of hope and restoration and expectation. And she shall, she shall sing there. Oh, that was hard to say. She shall sing there <laughs> and respond as in the days of her youth. And as at the time when she came up. Out of the land of Egypt. In the desert, God can make vineyards. He can make doors of hope and expectation where we don't see anything but the hard place. The midbar, the, uh, the wilderness we find ourselves in is no challenge for a God who speaks and creates out of nothing more than his own voice. He doesn't need us to be amazing. He just needs our faith. He just needs us to look at him. He can make vineyards in the desert. He can speak future and blessing in the place that, that, that seems so forsaken. He can set in motion the very steps that are going to bring us to the destiny he has for us. He can uh, get our attention and our focus. And God can turn our wilderness into the place of expectations. The challenge is on us. What are you going to do? In your midbar. What are you going to do when you find yourself in the place that feels barren? Feels like a desert. Place where it's just you and God and there's nobody else to help. You know, um, uh, there was a time that I sunk deep in the Lord. And, I, and it was a time when I was broken hearted. It was a time when I didn't have any other hope. And, and praise God there was no social media for me to put it out there on. All I had was God and a Bible and my kitchen table and it was all I needed. My, my valley, my midbar became my, my valley of expectation, my door of hope. When it seems like you will not have what you need, you get to make the choice what to do in your midbar. You can sit and soak in your, in your sorrow. Uh, you can sit and sour and, and how unfair everything is. Or you can decide, I will respond to God in faith in my midbar. Don't misunderstand me. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes we have to, to bury somebody that we love and we didn't, wanna, we didn't wanna go to that graveyard. But sometimes we have to do that. And it is okay to grieve. We grieve, but we grieve in hope because we know that someday Jesus is gonna split that sky and we're gonna all go anyway. We know that there's more. So it's okay to grieve. And I'm not talking about that. Uh, but you, do you know there's a devil loose in the world? And he wants nothing more than for you to sit down in your wilderness, in your med bar, 
and go ahead and soak there and be a victim until you lay down, until you breathe your last breath. He wants you to be the victim and have the victim mentality. You know what? I've been through some stuff in my life. I am no victim. I am a, I'm a born-again child of God. I, I am the anointed woman of God. I am the one that God chooses and God loves. I'm the one that, is, that was so valuable to the, to the living God that he said the cross was an acceptable price to have me. That's who I am. I'm no victim. So uh, don't forget that God is for you. He is with you and he is for you. You are not what you feel. You are what you face. So if you find yourself where Hagar did and you face hard things and life's hurting you, things aren't fair, you want to run away, God sees your broken heart. And God has heard you. And if the only prayer you can muster is tears, God still understands. God still reads tears. He understands. Jesus still comes to sit with women by wells. He comes to sit with men by wells. He'll come. If you'll come and meet him there, he will meet you. And he is present and active in your circumstances. He's not just with you. He is for you. He still gets down in the dirt with the ones he loves. He, He refuses to back down from our mass. He has a future, and we can't see it, but it's a future with a promise and a blessing on it. Hang on in your wilderness. God knows how to handle it. If you find yourself like Joseph in the wilderness, the barren desert, the place where you're all alone, where you'd rather not be, where there's lack and unfairness and everything's hard and it keeps getting worse, and the very people that should have had your back were part of the problem. If you find yourself that in the pit, in the problem, in the prison, in the depression, in the the circumstance, in the what will I do now, know this, that God who kept his eye on Joseph has got his eye on you. In the pit, in the potter's house, and in the prison, the same God had the keys to the palace. And do you know what? When you will lean into your relationship with God, when it's not easy, he's still got the keys to palaces. He's still got the keys. And the room you he opens for you may not be the room you think it'll be. It may not look like you think it will look. It may not feel like you think it will feel. But God knows the room you belong in. He knows the room that you need to be standing in. God knows what to do with your midbar. And maybe you, like Moses, have given up on your dreams. And maybe you've laid down what you felt like the, the Lord called you to do. Maybe you felt like the Lord had a certain calling on your life and you said, it's too late. Maybe the sounds of the demands of everyday life has kind of drowned out the call of God, the, the sound of the Lord de- uh, calling you forward. God knows uh, where you are and he is still a consuming fire and if you will choose to respond to him and turn therefore and look at this consuming fire God will take care of your wilderness the dream gets back up when God speaks life into it amen amen God knows how to handle your wilderness we have to decide what we're going to do what we will be when we're there And if we'll make the choice to turn to the Lord and to lift up a sacrifice of praise. And and you know the word sacrifice means there's going to cost you something. means it may not be what you feel like doing. Uh, It's a costly thing. If we'll praise God in the dry place, we'll be a magnet for rain. If we'll lift up our eyes in expectation when everybody else thinks the odds are against us and just stack too high against us, there's no reason for us to keep on hoping. Uh, We can go ahead and say, well, God's on my side, so I think we're in the majority. Isn't that right, Sandy Miller? Uh, 
When God's on our side, the odds don't matter anymore. The Lord knows how to handle our midbar. If we will choose to respond to the worth of God, if we will choose to respond to the heart of God who loves us and reaches for us, he'll take care of our wilderness. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. God responds to you. Do you know he doesn't respond to your circumstances? He does respond to you, though. Hallelujah. Noah, can you come on up and, and, and play whatever the Lord put on your heart? As Noah is, uh, is, uh, comes and, and leads us uh, as a time of worship here as we end tonight, I want to read this to you one more time out of Hosea. Hosea 2 and 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly into her heart. There I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of, of troubling to be for her a door of hope and expectation. And she shall sing there and respond as in the days of her youth at the time when she came out of Egypt. And if you see this in my Bible, the Bible that I use at home, in big red letters across the top I've written, I respond to God, God responds to me. Jesus said, ask and receive, seek and find, knock and you'll find. So when we ask, go ahead and receive. We make it so hard. He promised. When you, when you seek, go ahead and find. Go ahead and find him. When, when you knock, go ahead and let him open that door and walk on through. He promises he will respond to you. And church, our little church has been through a tough season. You know, we, we've had some heartaches. We've walked through as a corporate body. But the Lord's been with us. And, and, and you know, our wilderness, our dry place, haven't we been seeing some sprinkles of rain? Haven't we been seeing a cloud the size of a man's hand? Haven't we been seeing the Lord being all faithful? He's walking with us. Let faith rise up in you and press in. Let the valley of Acor, that, that low place of trouble, become your door of hope. A door means that God is opening up a new horizon. A new horizon. And maybe you're in here tonight and you say, I've been the one facing the hard thing. I'm the person you are walking with in these hard things. And maybe you're in that midbar, that uncomfortable place. And you just don't know what to do with that. Well, God still knows what to do with your wilderness. If you feel like you need prayer tonight, you can come up here and we'll pray with you. Pastor and Miss Leah are right here. These are, these are some spiritual people. They have read my mail more times than they knew when they spoke to me. I have to tell you. If you need prayer, we will pray with you. But if not, I want to invite you just to stand in the presence of the Lord and worship as Noah leads us. Spirit God, not by might, not by power, by your spirit God, send your spirit God, not by might, not by power, by your spirit God, send your spirit God, not by might, not by power. Power by your spirit, God. 
situations at school maybe situations in your family and the Holy Spirit speaking to you as Maya come up for prayer I just wonder if there are any other students that want to come up here and join me and join and we're just going to pray for you that God just minister in your life in your heart some of you are looking up here and I just I feel like there's a drawing that the Lord's speaking your heart and so you can just come on up here and join us mom and dad won't mind if you come they'll be thankful you can just come on up and we want to pray for you if you want to be prayed for the one thing to understand that this church is your church worship is your worship time too where you worship the lord if you want to be prayed for i'm talking about kids from all ages students from all ages you want to come up here be prayed for because you need God to help you, the Lord to touch you, you feel drawn by the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord that does that work in speaking to us. You can be in middle school, you can be in high school, junior high, you can be just in elementary school. God's speaking to your heart. We want to pray for you. God just ministered to you. So you can just leave your seat now and just come on up. <laughs> 